0: Hey friends, it's Kelly. I am so excited for Thanksgiving. It's my favorite holiday. So I hope you guys are full and you have some leftover pie because you're getting this at the tail end of the Thanksgiving weekend. And happy uh, December coming up, which is exciting. So you guys, I have two cool things you need to know about. Number one, I'm doing a book giveaway uh, for a podcast review. Um, Whether or not you follow me on Instagram, you still need to know about this. So what, uh, why good sex matters by nan wise phd is the name of the book and it's pretty darn good and talks about sex research and if you're interested leave a podcast review take a screenshot and then you gotta send it to me so the easiest way to send it to me is on instagram kelly casper md you could also go to my website uh, or email info at kelly is the email you could email it to but At the end of this weekend, so likely at the end of today, if you're listening on Sunday, I'm going to do this podcast uh, review book giveaway. So one podcast review um, will be picked from all of them, and I will send you a book with a little card that says thank you. So thank you so much for spreading the love, sending the love. This is how women find out about this podcast is people sharing reviews that it was helpful and useful Number two, Tenga is a very cool company that is doing uh, an affiliate with me. Y-A-N-B 15 for you are not broken 15 is the code that you use to get 15% off uh, at Tenga, which does tons of toys and lube and things like that. So check out Tenga, the company on Instagram. You can find them online at usstore.tenga.co, that's T-E-N-G-A.co, co, and then you can find them on Instagram at Tenga, T-E-N-G-A underscore global. So and dude, I'm going to do a review for Tenga products, oh, I think it's going to be uh, b- very beginning of December, probably for the December 1st podcast, and then the affiliate link you guys can use is Tenga Uh, for tango products is you are not broken 15 all right guys love you so much enjoy this november live podcast and happy december coming up next week love you guys welcome to you are not broken the only podcast that combines science medicine and psychology to re-educate your brain and help you live your best love life and i'm your host board certified female urologist dr kasperson People, you can see that I just put on lipstick. Here we go. Okay, we are going to do a bunch of QA November live topics sent in. I get a lot of this from Instagram. Um, so that's where a lot of questions come from. As always, this is not individual medical advice. I am not your doctor. Maybe I am, but not, I'm not your doctor on podcasts or Instagram. Um, so everything I say is for entertainment and educational purposes only. I love you, but I can't give you medical advice on social media. You know that. It's fine. We can still talk about really important sexual health stuff. So first question is trouble with urethral spasming. Um, Have you found any medications or other treatments that are effective in resolving or minimizing urethral spasming frequency? Uh, It's quite painful. It starts with the urge to urinate, it starts when the urge to urinate comes on and when I sit down to go the spasms will shut off the flow of urine. I have to power through the pain to void. If it's not spasming, it's extreme sensitivity of the urethra and clitoris. Um, I've been on vaginal estrogen for nearly a year, using estradiol cream three to five times a week. I don't understand why these things are still happening. So, very, very good question. I think this is a common thing. Urethral pain, um, a couple of different things it could be. Okay, so number one, hormones, right? I love that this, call, this uh, collar, it's not a collar question person is um, already on vaginal estrogen because that really does help the blood flow and the collagen and the health of the urethra. So great that you're already on vaginal estrogen. Hormones would be something that I would be thinking about in this scenario. The second thing I'd be thinking about in this scenario is Um, pelvic floor muscles, right? If your pelvic floor muscles are too tight and you're spasming, you have to pee through it, poop through it. Um, In men, you have to orgasm through it. So pain with ejaculation is a sign of pelvic floor dysfunction in men. And I would think about pelvic floor muscles. So I would be thinking about getting a pelvic floor physical therapist involved to be like, what is it about urinating that's specifically causing the pain? Um, So hormones, pelvic floor, and then um, the third one would be some sort of nerve thing going on. Uh, The other thing that could be going on again is bladder spasms. So if you're having like bladder spasms, they're pushing really hard to urinate, I would be thinking that could be causing it too. So. I wouldn't try to treat this at home. This is where I would engage primary care for referral to a pelvic floor physical therapist. And again, make sure that the hormones are good um, as far as urethral spasming. So certainly not normal. Um, some people have tried, as far as medication options for this, again, you can try like an anti-spasm medication. Hyoscyamine is one of them. Uh, overactive bladder med, you could try. Some people would say if this is a pelvic floor, vaginal valium. So there's a couple of different medications. But again, I would wanna understand like the underlying reason for it before we just started like throwing medications on it so first question urethral spasming second question after being with the same man for the last 23 years and no sex for the past seven years I am afraid I won't simply know how to approach a man although some libido has survived I'm on dating apps and thoroughly uh I thoroughly avoid meeting anybody Any idea, still the idea of how could it be, it could be wonderful to meet a Prince Charming. Um, I do want to have a relationship and sex, but at the same time, I'm so scared by the idea of meeting anyone. Uh, In my case, it's definitely a brain issue. So super common, right? Like you're out of practice in dating, uh, you're out of practice in having sex. And like, I think anybody would be a little bit cautious about going back into that. Certainly, I think you've already realized that this is a brain issue, right? It's like all of the like, what could happen, what could go wrong, uh, could be painful, uh, could go poorly. Like the brain just loves to try to predict the future, which isn't always good for us in wanting to try new things. Um, So for, to me, I don't think this is a libido thing. I think this might be more like caution about getting into the dating scene again, how to approach, how to communicate with a man. sex therapist maybe, but maybe just a therapist in general to kind of understand the underlying like concerns or phobias or apprehensions um, and kind of walk you through the process of getting back into it. So I would say do it. I mean, this is the thing you guys is like, we have one amazing life. Are we going to spend all of it like not meeting The person of our dreams right like how much time are we spending not meeting the person of our dreams so to me i'm like get out there do it confront your fears there's probably you know there's good on the other side of it so that would be my my cheerleader for this lady go for it um lovely person. I'm in my late 60s and not giving up on something that has given me such pleasure throughout my life. I have my gynecologist helping me and after a year of no sex I got the engines running again and now consider it self-care. This is so important for people to listen to. This is a person in her late 60s who is clearly through menopause because majority of people are through it by the time they hit 60. She's prioritized self-care, realizes sex is for her Sex is not something that happens to you, it's something that's for you. And she saw the gynecologist, I don't want to assume, but probably got on some vaginal estrogen to help with any dry tissues, which is amazing. Um, But it's really important for people to hear these stories. It's really important to acknowledge sex in older people is normal, sex in older people is good, sex in older people is possible. because that, again, brain being like, oh, it's I'm past my prime, it's too late, you know, whatever it might be, is it's certainly not helping you live your best life. There, As far as I'm aware, there's no do-over. So, like, that's why I would just encourage people to, like, get the care you need, get the answers you need, get out there and live your best love life. But I, I will keep sharing these 67-year-old success stories because you guys need to hear that this is normalize sexuality in all people, in all ages, in all health uh, abilities. It's just really, really good to to keep hearing that. So God bless. Okay. Uh, Let's see. Next person. The low libido is a vicious cycle because desire is a great motivator. Yes. Desire is literally by definition, it is the motivation, right? To go do something. Desire. If you have desire, you're not having sex. You're having desire to have sex. So literally desire is a great motivator by definition. Also, I was worried about vaginal dryness and whether my vagina had actually shrunk. Um, What you say about wanting physical closeness really resonates. I think we have to focus on this and not expect ourselves to be the horny teenagers we once were because good sex will raise the libido, etc." Yes. Okay, so there's this amazing book. It's upstairs. I can't show it to you right now. There's this amazing book called Reclaiming Desire by Barry and Emily McCarthy amazing it's an amazing but it's very dense like read the book and then understand you might have to read it like three other times because I'm I've read like all the books at this point and it's dense for me um which is why I'm writing a book that I hope is not dense at all because I think we have to kind of like make this into very easily readable stuff but so point being he says the McCarthy books people say is like Desire comes. Desire is a byproduct of having good sex. We don't get the desire first and then go on to have good sex. You have the good sex, the intimacy, the closeness, the communication, the relationships, and from that you get desire for it. Which is a very backwards way of thinking like the, the original like Masters and Johnson Kaplan teaching is like desire comes first before you can have sex and now we're like oh now I don't have sex because I didn't have any desire for it and then like the whole ship sinks. Instead of realizing like the work is on the good sex, right? And if you don't have, if you're not having good sex, if you're having pain, if you're not having pleasure, if you're having sex because it's a chore or a duty or whatever else, uh, you're not going to have desire for it. Right, if I'm having sex, this is a, this one's coming up a lot for me right now, is I'm having sex because I want to keep him happy, I don't want him to get cranky, he's gonna whine, I'm gonna have to put up with him whining about it, kind of this like sex by coercion, like it's not a, it's not that you're saying no, but you aren't saying like hell yes to it, um, and then you wonder where your desire is, right, it's like you've got to make that part good. And then the desire will come. It's not, it's not the way we think like Hollywood, right? Like Hollywood is like super horny, hot desire, spontaneous desire, sex. So I'm so glad you found me too. Thank you, you guys. Um, So yeah, I think that was my comment to that. Um, Next one, I'm 58, single and not dating. One of the reasons is definitely my lack of interest in sex. The last time I had sex it was painful, it's just not worth the hassle. Um, and it was a couple of years ago. I was I was getting a bacterial vaginosis as well. Um, hopefully I've found a guy who's been pursuing me for a while. And I'm just not doing the sex thing. So single I shall remain. Oh, I want to hug this lady. So here is a couple of thoughts on this. We can have re- good intimate relationships with no sex. We can have sex without an intimate relationship. Both are possible. So here you are, you're seeing a guy, he's interested in you and you say, well, I guess I can't be in a relationship with him because I don't want to have sex. To me I'm like, no, this is not a zero, is that the right use of zero sum game? <laughs> um, is number one, talk to the- him about your apprehensions, about your experiences, about your thoughts about him and how much you like him. Um, and it's not all or nothing. Certainly if you just dump this guy and you don't explain why, he's going to be like, it was all my fault, you know? Like, what could I have done? Only had he known that you had, like, pain with sex and a low desire and that's the reason you dumped him, right? So to me, I'm like, relationships can happen and you don't have to have penis and vagina sex, right? Um, The other thought about this is the more we... We kind of think like the more uh, we should just like, the less we have sex, we should want it more, right? And that tends to not be what the research says. The research says that to kind of consistently stay in an active sex life is actually kind of what stokes that desire more. Like we forget how rewarding it is when we don't do it, right? And so it's like. Oh, I'm not I haven't been interested in sex so it's probably not for me is like until you actually start like playing with that It might be for you. You just haven't been in the game in a while. You haven't found a way that's pleasurable And doesn't cause pain And so I would definitely encourage this person to number one communicate with somebody that can help with pain with sex number two communicate with your partner to be like This is what I'm thinking. This is why I'm so concerned really start talking about it so Because to throw a whole relationship out because of what might happen, eh, you're jumping the gun, I guess. Um, Been on UVFM and Premarin for six weeks, but losing feeling in my clitoris. Get an exam. Make sure you don't have phimosis or lichen sclerosis or a condition going on. Um, Local testosterone can actually help with sensitivity uh, or lack of sensitivity and bringing in uh, good sensation and... um, good function of the clitoris. So those would be my two two suggestions. Uh, but yeah, I would see somebody to, who knows what they're do- I don't have on my website, like she knows what she's doing when she's looking at a clitoris. <laughs> so like, how do you find these people, right? Like how do you find the people who are good at looking at clitorises? But uh, it might be trial and error. Um, but that would be my thought. Like if you're losing sensitivity in your clitoris, make sure it looks okay. And then think about hormones. Uh, how can I up my libido if it is due to meds? Yes, so lots of medications cause low libido. Um, my, my que- this is always my question. If you know me long enough, who cares about libido? We care about sex life and pleasure, right? So, and knowing we have sex in our life and pleasure in our life for reasons other than spontaneous desire. So first things first is spontaneous desire is not necessary. Second thing is meds absolutely affect both orgasm and sexual function and desire. Um, But analyzing like why do I want to be sexually active? Is it important to me? Is it a commitment I want to make? Is it enjoyable in the first place? Kind of all of those things. Because again, like the beginning of this conversation, you don't have to have a great libido to have wonderful sex, right? A lot of women have responsive desire. So not until they are feeling aroused does desire for sex happen. That's really important to know because we don't get taught that. All right, let's see what else we can talk about today. Um, This is just my monthly, if not weekly update. I get this question all the time. It's like literally the... um, My social media platform is if you're on vaginal estrogen you don't have to be on progesterone systemic versus local local vaginal estrogen progesterone is not needed it's so low dose a year of vaginal estrogen is equivalent to taking one hormone therapy estrogen pill a year of vaginal estrogen therapy is the equivalent of swallowing one hormone therapy estrogen pill So you put estrogen in your vagina, you do not, it's not systemic, you do not need to be on progesterone. So that is, I'm just going to repeat that until I decide to give up podcasting and social media because it comes up all the time. Um, Every time we talk about it. Vaginal estrogen, for the most part, there's nuance, you see, and this is where I get into trouble because there is actually a ring called the fem ring, which is systemic estrogen and it also covers the vagina. So in that case, you would need progesterone. So systemic estrogen, you need progesterone if you have a uterus. If you don't have a uterus, you don't need progesterone because the progesterone is to protect the uterine lining from the unopposed effects of estrogen. Okay, so there's that one. What's the best form of testosterone to start with? Um, I'm assuming this is uh, a female. Um, I like the FDA approved products dosed for females, there's a, Ishwish has a position paper on it, it's dirt cheap because it's one-tenth the dose. Don't expect insurance to cover it, but it's a heck of a lot cheaper and safer than pellets and injections. So, oh, Dr. Perlin just said mind-blown, I don't know why, I don't know why I just blew your mind, but thank you, that's a huge compliment coming from you. Um, what's the, the next question is, is it necessary to use Vagifem? and topical estrogen. Depends, they're both vaginal estrogen products. Vagifem is a pellet that goes inside the top of the vagina and then topical estrogen and estrogen cream. My thought just on looking at many, many, many vulvas is that a little birdseed pellet of estrogen in the top of the vagina twice a week is not often enough to target the external genitalia structures. So I'll still see significant labial atrophy, clitoral atrophy, and they're on quote-unquote vaginal estrogen. So I'll, I tend to just switch women to the cream instead of having them on Vagifem and cream. But you know, I guess you can do whatever you want. Um. Do you suggest vaginal estrogen if someone is on an estrogen patch and progesterone? It depends. If you are having uh, great lubrication, pain-free sex, no significant bladder issues, no dryness or irritation, then you're probably on a level that is enough for your body. I do see a lot of people who are on systemic hormone therapy that's just not enough. Remember, systemic hormone therapy is still very, very low dose. This is not like making you a 23-year-old estrogen-competent individual. Um, it's just not enough to target the pelvic structures. So I do see a lot of women on systemic who still need vaginal estrogen. But I would do, I would have it depend upon your symptoms. Um, the other thing I would do is I just, if it was me, I would just offer an exam to be like, no, I actually see significant atrophy. I worry this will become symptomatic. Let's treat it. Um, so that's how I would think about it. Um, oh, I know. Dr. Perlman said that the dose of vaginal estrogen and how it compares to the oral dose. I know, where did I read that? Did I read that? I either, I read that in some sort of hormone replacement myth thing. I think it is the British, it was a British uh, publication that taught me that. The Brits are ahead of Americans in hormone therapy for menopause. The Brits are like, it's like in their parliament of getting hormone therapy free for all British women currently i think it's like they're trying to make it like less than 200 dollars a year so that certainly is like way above where americans are because what they here's what they know number one it is a um national health service so they actually care about like preventing illness in the future so what they know is in women that are treated with hormone therapy they're seeing less osteoporosis less hip fractures less heart disease less heart attacks all of that stuff. So they know hormone therapy is likely going to save them a big amount of money in the future, dementia care, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, my pharmacist actually asked me why my gyno prescribed both systemic and topical. I told them the topical is not get absorbed systemically. Yeah, pharmacists don't assume pharmacists know all this. Like most doctors don't even know all this. I'm not. I'm not saying that to be offensive. I'm just being like, women should not have to explain to their pharmacists how this shit works. <laughs> Like your pharmacist questioning you should not be another barrier to good care for yourself. So that's the only thing that's irritating me about that. Um, I hope you still got what you were prescribed. Um, On progesterone only because my, my BMI is high. Can I use estrogen vaginal cream? Yes. Uh, I was told I cannot be an estrogen due to high BMI. So high BMI, increased risk for blood clots, um, and then high BMI, if you do the um, heart disease risk calculator, it does add to your uh, cardiovascular disease risk by having a high BMI. So that might be why they're saying that estrogen might be more risky for you. If, if you fill in the um, heart disease risk calculator and it's above like 7.5%, risk then they don't recommend putting you on hormone therapy so that might be why Um, again I am NOT your individual medical doctor but I can tell you a whole bunch of stuff so you can have the knowledge you need because all women need this knowledge about their body have you ever had a patient complain of vaginal bleeding following discontinuing Premarin after two weeks of use I have not had that happen I would work them up for um, menopausal postmenopausal bleeding how do you go about identifying doctors in New York City that are really trained in hormonal therapy? So go to the, the um, NAMS website, National Association for Menopause Society, NAMS. North American Menopause Society. I'm only certified, I should know what the acronym means. Uh, go to NAMS. People who have been NAMS certified like legitimately care enough about treating menopause that they took a, they paid money, they paid hundreds of dollars and took a test. So like, that's how committed they are, which is why I got certified because that's how committed I am to the belief that women should um, have their hormones treated if it's right for you. So that's how I would find a a doctor in New York City that are trained in in, uh, hormone therapy. Let us continue. Okay. I've been married for almost 25 years. And for 20 of them intimacy has lacked severely it's not him it's me I've talked to my GP OB-GYN endocrinologist and now hormone replacement therapy doctor nothing seems to work I'm convinced that something is wrong with me my husband is so handsome when I'm at work I fantasize about him when I get home any desire now gone what's broken with me um, oh thank you you're the bomb amazing info thanks so a couple thoughts number one sex should never compete with sleep If you're exhausted at the end of a day and you're like, I don't have desire for sex. What's wrong with me? You might just be tired because it's the end of the day and you worked all day long. There's nothing wrong with you. You are not broken. Please refer to the name of my podcast called You Are Not Broken. So that's my first thought is never, if when sex competes with sleep, sex loses. That's my first thought. Um, My second thought would be like, is there some sort of, if you fantasize about your husband, you know, you believe he's attractive, that is all fantastic news. I recommend people fantasize about their partner more than you do. We forget, we take it for granted, but like, man, they look good in those jeans. He offers to bring me coffee in the morning. He takes really good care of my kids. All of that is included in fantasy. It's all very good stuff to tell yourself about your partner. Um, We're just, you know, our brains, neuroscience, teaching alert, sidebar. Our brains are designed to pick up the negatives. We survive because we identify negative things and like stay away from them. Like the tiger, right? The poisonous plants. Our brains, we do not survive by gratitude and appreciating things and remembering all the good and remembering how great sex is, and remembering to get enough sleep. Like, we have to actively practice that and we get better and better at it. That's the good news. Um, So that's what I'd say, like, practice desiring your partner. It's a great practice. It's great for intimacy and sex life. But my question or my thoughts for this question is perhaps there's some sort of block in intimacy, block in wanting to be touched, um, something like that. I really think a sex therapist is probably the best place to go with this because like you said you've seen the doctors you've tried the hormones and if that's not enough then I say ah what kind of like block or barriers there if it's not just you're tired at the end of the day like see if you can can point it towards not competing with sleep because it's sleep will win Um, we have plenty of data on that shift workers people who don't sleep enough their sex life and their libido is low 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 so super important okay here's the next one dr casperson i love you thank you i'll i'll end there just kidding um to answer your question on why i have sex it's out of obligation is to remain number two is to remain close to my husband i'm 58 on a vaginal ring which is awesome on bioidentical estrogen and progesterone cream had a hysterectomy spontaneous desire is low normal that is normal people i'll continue not much desire even during the act Uh, I would work on the sex you're having then, if you call it an act. Um, Think about the sex that you're having. Is it sex that does it for you, right? What does it for a man, a penis owner, is very different than what does it for a female. Um, I don't recognize myself in this feeling, never was like this, orgasms aren't as intense either, my guy says it's not a thing. Um, Beak 58, the other thing I would think about is testosterone, either local on the clitoris uh, and vulva to get more sensation or to help with desire and libido. Um, But we've got to make sure the sex is good, that you're doing what you need, you're taking the time for arousal, you're not just putting things in the vagina automatically. That does not work, that does not lead to desire. Um, So I would say A, number one, we're missing a hormone of testosterone or number two, we're missing a, a key ingredient which is sex that is for you, not an act that you're performing with somebody else. So that would be my short answers. Am I getting really better at answering these questions in a sh- like these questions literally we could do like an entire hour-long podcast on just one of these but like I try I'm trying to get to all of the que- all of the questions um okay I love you guys so much just checking here Uh, I'm 63 and I've not started estrogen yet. I have hot flashes but not consistently. I started tracking and noticing that more often than not the episodes cluster around a full moon for several days then none for a week or two. Is this just a coincidence? I have no idea. There is not a lot of data. I googled this. Truthfully, I googled this. Um, I don't know. But here's the thing: you're 63. Your window for getting on hormone replacement therapy is narrowing. You're supposed to, if you're going to get on hormone therapy, they re- recommend within eight to 10 years of your last menstrual period. Um, so I, you know, I think the myth for women this is a myth of like, are my symptoms quote unquote they're not bad enough to to be on hormones? Is like, who's going to make that determination for you? Some people would be like, these hot flashes are horrible. Um, I know, and the other thing is like change in cardiovascular risk factor, change in insulin resistance, change in osteoporosis and bone density, all of those things we can't feel, right? So is there a, does it have to be bad enough to get on hormones? No, there doesn't. You can be on hormones for all those other, um, health benefits as well. So I hope that helped. Whether or not your menopause symptoms are correlated with the moon, I don't know. You could pay somebody a lot of money and they could give you the answer you want. But the research says, I don't know. I'm 48, should I start hormone therapy now and testosterone? If you want to. It depends upon your symptoms. Talk to your provider. See what's right for you. Um, there's no age. There's no age that you like. You have. To, you can't start it until you're this old, or you're too old to start. There's. There's really not. Um, certainly, if you were 73 and you're like, "Can I start?" Probably the answer is no, because you're past that 10-year window. But 48 is not "quote unquote" too young to start on hormone therapy. So I'd, I'd start. I'd just start the conversation. If you want, have somebody check your labs, see where you are. Um, you don't have to check labs. You can just go on symptoms alone. That's fine too. Okay. Next question, wondering if you can address the side effects of vaginal estrogen. I tried to use it and noticed improvements in my vaginal issues, but also noticed the onset of symptoms, nausea, headaches, mood swings, etc. Is this normal? It scared me and I've stopped using it. I'm worried that it may cause other issues. It didn't help that my gynae handed it over saying, remember, this will enter your bloodstream. Hmm. Okay. So a lot of providers do loading doses of vaginal estrogen cream. I tend to not do it for two reasons. Number one, like, if you read how to prescribe this stuff, they explain a loading dose, which is, like, every day for two weeks and then just twice a week. Excuse me while I adjust my cozy blanket. Um, I don't do it for two reasons. Number one, I think, especially if you have really thin tissues, you'll get a lot of absorption, you'll get some systemic symptoms, and then you'll hate it, and then you'll stop it. So I'm trying to avoid, like, that initial systemic symptoms that you're going to feel, those that will always go away um, but I just don't want people to have that and then call my office and say they stopped because of breast tenderness and then I have to explain to them that breast tenderness is temporary and it's only because their skin's so thin that they're absorbing it but they'll stop absorbing it as soon as their skin gets thinner or thicker uh, and more resilient. So point being I don't do the loading dose for two reasons. Number one, I don't like people feeling those systemic symptoms because it generates a lot of phone calls and I think it's unnecessary. And then number two is um, it's too confusing for a lot of people like, oh, two weeks, how much and then what and then how long and then if I'm just like twice a week for the rest of your life until you die, God bless, amen, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's just a lot easier to remember. I don't actually put the rest of that in my prescription. Um, So yeah, you can get some systemic symptoms in the beginning. It tends to subside. That is the short answer of it. Knowledge is wealth. The vaginal estrogen is amazing. My gynecologist was surprised I asked for it. I was surprised she didn't tell me about it. I'm so thankful for you. Oh, God bless. That is a win. That is absolutely amazing. Thank you for telling me that. Okay, let's see. Next question. I have a small question. I would really love it if you could help me because I'm dying in fear. Oh, this one's for a teenager. Um, I'm a teenager, and by that I sometimes masturbate. Today I did that and I noticed blood in my semen and when I divide my urethra by my fingers I can see a reddish part. Probably normal, probably just your urethral mucosa that you've never looked at before. Uh, But if it changes or is itchy or bleeds, see a specialist. Uh, I can't visit a urologist because my parents would never uh, leave me be if I told them what happened and I just can't tell them what I did. Could you please help me? Is this a normal thing to do or did I damage my penis? I fear for my life. Please, please help me. You guys, this is, what the, this is what shame around sexual function does. It makes somebody reach out to somebody who might be a doctor on the internet. And now I'm worried about this human. But the shame of like talking to their family about it, the shame of seeing a primary care physician about it, all this stuff. Um, if you masturbate excessively, you might cause some trauma, which might cause some bleeding. Uh, I would say back off for a little bit. You're probably fine. You probably just overdid it. If it doesn't go away or things get worse, please, please see a doctor. But this is what the shame around sexuality does for people. God bless. I hope this kid is okay. Okay, next. I'm 46 and I want to go on replacement hormones, but my grandmother took progesterone and got breast cancer after menopause. She is gone, so I can't ask. My mom now has me rethinking everything. Okay. Okay. Correlation does not equal causation. This is an important research, scientific thing that a lot of people don't understand. Our brains are meaning-making machines. We want to just make meaning out of everything and correlate everything and make everything cause everything else, and here's what we know. We know that breast cancer is very common. You may or may not get breast cancer after being on hormone replacement therapy. It doesn't mean the hormone replacement therapy caused the breast cancer. It doesn't mean you shouldn't be on hormone therapy for all the other wonderful things it does and then you get breast cancer. It doesn't mean it caused it. What we know is people who are on hormone therapy, when they get breast cancer, they actually do better than the people weren't on hormone therapy who got breast cancer. Uh, there's also a new article. I posted this on... Did I post this? Yeah, I posted this in my stories on Instagram. New article just came out of Britain. They looked at about a hundred thousand women Being on estrogen and progesterone, 9% decrease in mortality, no change if you were just on estrogen, slightly higher increased risk of breast cancer, but did not change survival. So I do not want to be the first, the last, or the second person to say that we shouldn't be afraid of breast cancer. I think that's a statement I can't make. I think we're all very afraid of breast cancer, Um, but we do not think hormone therapy causes life-threatening breast cancer, and we do not think the risk of it causing breast cancer outweighs the benefit at this point. Um, Having a grandma have breast cancer, that's not even a first-degree relative, and even having a first-degree relative is not a contraindication to hormone replacement therapy at this point in time. So that's a lot to say, go to your doctor, check, go be seen by a menopause specialist and see if, if estrogens and progesterone's right for you, but your grandma having breast cancer is not a reason for you to not do something for your health because science and because correlation does not equal causation. But teach my kids that one, correlation does not equal causation. Okay. I recently had to up my thyroid meds due to menopause. This has made such a huge difference and energy is much better. I want to start hormones, but not having many symptoms. Where to start? Eh depends Uh, so remember current guidelines is for symptomatic and then prevention of osteoporosis so you can't feel osteoporosis that's reason enough to be on it if you would like Um, but here's the thing hormone therapy helps women over time I can't tell you that this is a reason to start it I really can't but you see a 75 year old who's on hormone replacement therapy she's pretty darn healthy now is there a bias there Are healthy people more interested in being on meds that help them live healthy? Maybe, right? Um, So you're you're gonna get people to be like, oh, if you feel fine, don't go on it, and you're gonna feel. get people who are like get on it it's going to help you age I don't want to say slower but like it's going to help you age well uh it's great for hair it's great for skin it's great for collagen it's great for your heart it's great for uh helping prevent weight gain it's great for decreased risk of diabetes decreased risk of dementia decreased risk of heart disease oh decreased risk of colon cancer which I always forget I always forget colon cancer I'm sorry hormone replacement therapy has been shown to decrease the risk of colon cancer Um, So those are all good reasons, but it's an individual. I am not here to tell everybody to go on hormones. Like I literally am not. Um, I'm here to tell everybody that desire comes from within. You are in charge of your sexuality and hormones can be a wonderful thing for a lot of people. So there you go. Okay. I'm 45. I just got my third IUD and I have great luck with them. I don't have any periods because of the IUD. Can symptoms of perimenopause be masked in some ways by the IUD? Probably not because that's just progesterone. Maybe the progesterone's doing a little bit, but it's not that much. Um, again, you're not going to have the irregular periods, which are a sign of perimenopause. Another sign of perimenopause is really heavy bleeding and irregular bleeding, and you're kind of like taking that out of the equation, which is awesome. God bless. I love IUDs um so i guess if your question is can symptoms of perimenopause be masked in some ways by the iud yes because irregular periods and heavy periods are being masked by the iud doesn't mean the iud is bad it's just uh just a reason to be on an iud if you ask me all right let's see i just turned 60 and i've used topical hormone cream for years i have vaginal dryness and fissure occasionally can i still continue to use them yes um I've used topical hormone cream for years. To me, that means vaginal estrogen, but I'm not certain that that's what you mean. Um, I would consider upping your dose. You might not be on a high enough dose if you're still getting vaginal dryness and fissures. So that would be the thing I would think about. If you came to my office, I would do an exam and then I would tell you like, oh, you're you're not using enough because a lot of people will use like a little pea-sized amount on their finger and it's not enough. They'll still have symptoms. The goal is to not have symptoms, to so use enough to not have symptoms. Um, and if you are using enough and you're still having symptoms, then I would get an exam to exclude other things that are going on. All right, you guys, that is 40 minutes of me answering questions. It is a whirlwind. I am not, okay, I'll do one more. I'm curious if you have any recommendations on a pelvic floor physical therapy device to be used at home. I've had pelvic floor PT in the past and it really helped with some issues. Thanks for any info you can provide. Uh, Yeah, a couple of brand names off the top of my head. Perifit, Millie, and Kegel are good products. Um, They're so cool now because you can like have an app on your phone and do like bio feedback with like squeezing your pelvic floor muscles and seeing it move on your phone, which is very cool. Um, So off the top of my head again, Perifit, Millie, M-I-L-L-I, and then K-G-O-A-L are good pelvic floor physical therapy trainers that I have no financial interest in. Although if you're listening and you want to sponsor my podcast, I'd be very happy for you to do that. All right, team, I love you guys so much. This is going to be November's live podcast recording Q&A as usual. It's a whirlwind. Um, For podcast listeners, follow me on Instagram. I can't always answer questions. I usually don't answer questions on Instagram, but I save them and I put them in my lives. Um, And if you want to know actually when the lives are, because you don't just like trying to randomly find me, it's uh, get on my email list, kellycaspersonmd.com scroll down. Uh, I think you put in your email list and you get like five top things about intimacy you wish you knew. And then you get on my email list and then I send you links to books and links to my live podcasts. So I love you guys so much. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy holidays. I will see you in December. Much, much love.